0: Hello and welcome to this special episode of A Mike on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Today I interview five conducting students from the Royal Conservatory of Scotland in Glasgow. I met them in November 2023 and decided it would be a good idea to interview them. This interview was initially released as a video for my Patreon subscribers, but I thought it was so interesting that I would convert it into a special episode for you, my loyal listeners. There'll be more about my Patreon page later, and how you can subscribe and listen to more interviews like this. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you, Jacobus de Yaga, Oliver Cope, Peggy Wu, Kentaro Machida, and Riley Court Wood. Hello everybody, it's great to see you all again. Uh, Happy Happy New Year. Happy New Year. For the watchers and subscribers on Patreon, let me make some introductions and we'll go from left to right on the screen. So on the left is Jacobus Diaga, and then we have Oliver Cope, then we have Peggy Wu, then we have Kentara Machida, and finally we have Riley Court Wood. And they were all um in the class, the conducting class at the Royal Conservatory <laughs> of Scotland. Um as at least two of you know, I can't remember whether all of you have listened to my podcast. I always go back from the very beginning and ask how music came into your life. And seeing as we have one lady amongst us, let's go ladies first.
1: Peggy, yeah.
0: Peggy tell us how music came into your life, where you're from, your background, and how you ended up coming to Glasgow.
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, So I'm originally from Hong Kong. And uh, music came into my life because my mom is a piano teacher, and uh, my parents they run a music school in Hong Kong. And so, like, I grew up with a lot of music, and I started playing the piano when I was three, and I also um started violin when I was five. And it's really one of those things where like I I didn't remember any. I didn't remember like otherwise, like not having music in, in the house. So then um, I think as I grew up, like because music is such a big part of my identity, I decided I wanted to do it professionally. And um, so I started uh, pursuing a career as a solo pianist. Um, I moved to the UK to study at the RCM. And it's when I was at the RCM that I started um, dabbling and conducting by like taking one of those elective courses and um, yeah, discovered I really enjoyed it. Um, but I, at that time, I still hadn't like thought seriously about it. Um, But then a friend of mine, uh, when I was at RCM, uh, one day like randomly called me up and said, oh, there's an amateur orchestra in London um, that is in need of an emergency conductor. Like, are you up for taking the rehearsals and also doing the concert? And I was like, well, I mean, okay, sure. But I I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'll give it a shot. Um, So I went there and waved my arms around and I I obviously was terrible then. Um, But then somehow, like, I think um, the spark was ignited and then um, the orchestra also enjoyed. So then I stayed on with them for a few years and um, I was able to uh, like develop there. Like, that, that was sort of like my, my little playground. Um, and then after a while, I did feel that I wanted to take it further and I wanted to really um, get a, a formal technical education on how to how to conduct. So that's when I decided to come to Scotland to study.
0: Brilliant story. I mean, like so many other people I've interviewed, Sometimes it's a random event. Um, I mean, the last episode I put out on a mic on the podium was Catherine larson McGuire. Uh, she'd done a little bit of conducting, but she went to the, a pub in Berlin, uh, which was full of amateur musicians, and wrote her phone number down on a beer mat and ended up, up for ten years. Um, you know, it's, it's 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 sometimes how it happens, isn't it? It's just a random thing that can suddenly change your your career path, direct life direction. And it's good to say yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We're going to go from Hong Kong uh, and uh, uh, go across or down or I don't know where we go. (laughs) going. Jacobus, maybe it's down being you. Uh, We go down to South Africa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, tell us how music came into your world and how you ended up uh, making the very long trip from South Africa up to Glasgow. Uh, Yes, of course. Uh,
2: (laughs) So i mean i'm i'm from south africa originally um i was born in pretoria and my grandmother um, was still alive uh, she was a concert pianist uh, two pianos mo- mostly and then also a, a great accompanist okay. uh, so i grew up um, with her always playing in the background um, the rest of my family all actually basically went into medicine um but yes so i mean uh took up piano uh hated it at first um <laughs> but i mean then uh, all the practicing came together and um in the end i i was quite indecisive of what i would like to do one day i was actually interested in art or film um And then I decided to start with music um, at the Stellenbosch University. So I first went from Pretoria to Cape Town then. Um, There I studied my uh, bachelor's degree in piano and and my master's degree in piano. Um, There I actually, uh, as a second instrument, I started conducting. And I met my uh, previous teacher, Daniel Boyko, um, in Stellenbosch who's actually an Israeli conductor uh, that studied with Ilya Musin in, in St. Petersburg. So then um, it all just worked out that way that, I mean, I started with the Musin school. Uh, from there, I spent some time in St. Petersburg uh, studying with Alexander Pol- Polishuk there. Um, and then since then, I've been applying and I... Uh, became interested in Scotland because of Martin Brabbins and his association, of course, with musing and that's how I found this beautiful city of Glasgow. <laughs> uh, I'm still getting used to the weather, though. Uh, it's not great conditions for making music, but
0: <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Well, I, I I do think it's a beautiful city, but I, yeah, I can imagine it's a bit of a shock coming from South Africa to Glasgow, temperature-wise, <laughs> if nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, and and Ilya Musin his name will appear later in some some way. Um, what's interesting is that I've been thinking about nothing but Musin since I was with you in in uh, December, uh, and I've probably started incorporating some of it. But we will come back to Mr. Musin. Um But two pianists so far. Next, Ollie. Uh, are you another pianist? How did music come into your life? Uh, I do play piano. I'm trying to play
3: more because apparently it's quite helpful with conducting, I've been told. Uh, So they say, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, originally I was a harpist and for the majority of the first part of my life, that was all I wanted to do. Um, And sort of got into conducting uh, by sort of making deals with amateur orchestras who would get me for free rather than paying a harpist, which can be quite expensive. The deal being that they let me do 15 minutes of a rehearsal and just, you know, have a go. Um, So I sort of got the bug from that um, and then went to a place apparently other conductors have been to called Cambridge.
4: Um,
3: And yeah, there I did loads of conducting. And as anyone will tell you, there's endless opportunities um, with all sorts of different kind of orchestras and opera. There and so that's where I sort of really got the bug, I suppose. Um, and then COVID happened. Um, didn't know what to do, so became a teacher for a couple of years, um, which was great, um, and a lot of sort of year seven choir conducting, um, but had slightly, I suppose, bigger ambitions for conducting specifically, as much as I enjoyed the teaching, um, which is how I ended up here. And yeah, like um Yokova said. The weather was not an attraction, but Martin and all of the opportunities which are offered here certainly w- was an attraction. Um, and it's been very nice that we've sort of had a class here on the whole, very supportive of each other. <laughs> we, we all seem to get along. Um, and so, yeah, so Peggy and I are just in the second year of that course now.
0: The Cambridge route is one that's been well trodden on On Mike on the podium the question I have to ask is I don't think I've interviewed another conductor who started out as a harpist. Was the harp the first thing you ever wanted to play? Um, or did you start, like so many harpists I know, on the piano and then graduate to harp?
3: No, I actually started on the violin just because that's sort of, you know, normal. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. Then... What
0: what's a normal route that is. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: And then a teacher came in. Um, with a harp and so and it just you know really even as a sort of eight-year-old or however old I was it really spoke to me there was something about it I really liked and you know actually the harp playing has informed a lot about the way I think about music and conducting um the harp's a really harmonic instrument if people don't know about the harp it's got seven pedals one for each note of the scale so you're often thinking about how your feet are proportioned. I mean, Kentara is an organist, so it's kind of similar. But this idea of thinking about harmony through that specific part of your body um, and also the kind of physical language of the harp. I mean, it's such a big instrument. There's not that many instruments where you're controlling it through everything you do, sort of sits between your knees. But then it's also so it's your whole body. Um, so I think a lot of that has you know, rubbed off Um but no, I mean, sadly, I don't do a huge amount of playing now. I do a lot more piano just because, you know, it turns out being more needed. Um, but, you know, I try to play a little bit every now and then just
0: because I think it's an important part of who I am. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Kentaro, we've just found out you're an organist, but did you start on the piano? And uh, what other <laughs> instruments did you start? And uh, musical parents or not, or did it come out of the blue? Um yeah, so I uh, my mum's a pianist and uh
5: her mum is also was a piano teacher um in Japan, uh, where I was born and I spent the first five years of my life. Um and uh yeah, so I started on the piano uh when I was sort of you know fourth, something like that. Um and I
4: maybe <laughs> <hate the> guitar.
5: <laughs> and um so yeah, I started on the piano uh and my mum's been my piano teacher ever since I've never had another piano teacher really um which somehow worked out I I don't know how but it's it's worked out Uh, and then I started playing the organ when I was sort of 14 15 I remember there was um uh yeah there was a guy sort of three years above me at school who was also Japanese played the organ and I remember going around to his house and seeing him play the organ and thought that's really cool I want to do that um, so yeah, started the organ and then played the organ at school. Um, so it was quite a um, well, a sort of Church of England religious school. So there was quite, there were quite a few opportunities to play the organ in services and stuff. Um, and that led me to to go sort of towards the uh, organ scholar path in uh, at Oxford, um, which I did. I went to Martin and did the organ scholarship there, which was obviously a, a, a sort of huge um sort of step towards um. You know, uh, a forward step in my in my career, which was great. Um, but I first started conducting actually when I was, well, I say conducting yeah, when I was sort of <laughs> seventeen. Um, I sort of did this masterclass uh, actually with Peter Stock, uh, and it was a sort of masterclass, um, local masterclass, um, and it was r- really for beginner conductors, people who ha- really hadn't conducted before. And we did the part of the Carmen Suite, the second Carmen Suite. Obviously, I was terrible. Um, but uh, out of the sort of the beginner conductors, um, I sort of got this sort of prize. Um, and uh, yeah, and I was like, oh, I might actually be good at this as opposed to, you know, piano, whereas I, I was all right, but I really wasn't, you know, great at all. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and so I de- then developed that through uni, um, had a great teacher called Roland Melia, who uh, was also a museum pupil. Uh, And throughout my time at uni um, had him as a teacher and uh, conducted the Oxford University symphony amongst other groups as well, um, which was hugely educational. And then to Glasgow, really, I mean, as others have said, um, Martin, um, I know being a, a sort of great conductor and, you know, by chance also being a Musen, um sort of school of technique um, that really worked out well. Um, and so that was the main attraction and, and yeah, really love it here. It's an
0: amazing city. Cool. Uh, so we've got about everything covered. We've had a Cambridge and then an Oxford. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, we've, I mean, uh, obviously you, you will you've lived over here a long time, but you were born in Japan. We have Hong Kong, South Africa, I'm assuming UK um, for Ollie, Riley. Uh, I know you did a fist pump when we mentioned or somebody mentioned starting the violin. So therefore, a violinist yes. a question mark. But how how did music come into your world?
4: Um, well, it, it, it sort of dropped out of nowhere, I think. I, neither of my parents are, are musicians. I, my mom's very musical, much more so than she'd ever admit. Um, because, you know, when I first started violin after years of begging my parents for lessons, whenever I would play something a little bit out of tune, she'd very sweetly say, What well, doesn't sound quite right, darling? <laughs> <laughs> so see, that's very good training for whenever you're slightly out of tune having somebody. But um, uh, after a, a long time of just being a total violin nerd and wearing out all my oystrock records, and um, I, uh, I auditioned for Guildhall, um, and I, I went there for for my undergrad. Um, but all leading up to that time, when I when I when I went to Guildhall, I was quite heavily involved in East Sussex Youth Orchestra, which at that time was conducted by Colin Metters, who I know has been mentioned. Numerous times on on your podcast, Mike. Yes. And um and uh, I led that orchestra for about four years. And so I think in my second year, we were on tour uh, through Slovakia doing uh, Vorjak 9. And uh, I mentioned to him that I'd been sort of curious about conducting and I, I'd loved working with him. He's a very inspiring person. And he said, well, you know, why don't you have a go? And and he let me conduct the last movement, the right. board, which I, I kind of knew from playing. And uh, afterwards I, I hopped down and said, oh, thanks for that, you know, not thinking too much of it, but thinking it's a bit of fun. And he sort of took me to the side and looked at me quite seriously. <laughs> and he said, well, you should think about uh, getting serious about this. You know, that was that wasn't too bad. And uh we started corresponding, and I went on a few of his master classes. And uh, I did the elective at Guildhall. And the thing that struck me was there were so many people that I felt were so much more gifted than I was at their instrument, but would seem to get up on the podium and nothing would work. and they'd be so <laughs> uncomfortable and they'd hate every minute. And I thought, well, if all these incredibly gifted instrumentalists find this so, difficult and I find it you know hard but you know I could be comfortable maybe there's something to this and so I conducted the big shout out to London Lawyers Orchestra (laughs) (laughs) gave me my first big break and I uh, conducted them in a concert and finished Guildhall I I had a year of teaching violin around London and just gigging and then I auditioned for uh, RNCM in Manchester and I went to do my master's there. Then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was about halfway through my second year. And I was just thinking, oh, my God, I've got no idea what I'm going to do. I got a, 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 an email back for, from the RCS because I had applied for their fellowship for that year. Uh, as uh, as a reserve, somebody dropped out and then I was invited to audition. And on the same day, I got an email from an orchestra in Oman saying they were looking for a uh, chief conductor. And it's funny, these little crossroads you have in life. And I just went for the Oman job because it was a job and it was in an exotic place. And I <laughs> yeah. had uh, some experience. So I went for that and declined the RCS thing. So I conducted the uh, Muscat Philharmonic Orchestra in Oman for two years, which was a court orchestra. It must be the last one left in the world. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and uh, and then I by this got incredible experience and amazing stories working in a, in a totally different culture. And uh, at the end of my two years there, I thought time to move on, and uh, I applied for the RCS fellowship course because of Martin who actually really got to know a little bit more by listening to your podcast. I think he's like episode two or isn't he or something? He's
0: like early that. on. Yeah you know, he's in the he's in the first ten episodes. Of, yeah, something like that. Right. And um and I and I came here and I auditioned and I got the gig. So that's me.
4: <laughs>
0: oh one question that I know that my uh subscribers will want to ask because I have just mentioned you know South Africa, um Singapore, Japan canadian accent riley uh yeah uh, but you you you, you know you're in the east sussex youth orchestra so it's (laughs) it's it's stuck with you from somewhere what what, is it
4: both my parents and my whole family are canadian my my parents are moved over here in the early 90s and i just i started off when i first started speaking i sounded Well, actually, technically, I first sounded like Alan Bennett, because I had a little audio cassette of him reading Winter the Willow. When I first started talking, I sounded like I was from Yorkshire. And then I sounded like the BBC, and then I think about eight or nine, I just started talking like my parents, and now I'm
0: stuck. Yeah, well, that's brilliant. Uh, Well, I had to ask. I mean, you know, checking on everybody's backgrounds... So, as I suspected, five very different routes to get to end up, all five of you, in Glasgow. For a bit of context for the subscribers um, on Patreon, I met these guys when I was up in um, Glasgow working with the RCS Symphony Orchestra, uh, I think it was the last week of November, first week of December, um, and... As uh, I've had a relationship with RCS before, I've I've gone and conducted the orchestra before, twice before that, but also been up and done some classes with the conducting class. And so I knew that I was going to meet you. I knew that you would have done some pre-work. So, I mean, Riley was actually conducting the first piece in the concert anyway, the um, Errolin Wallen piece, the name of which has completely escaped me. Remind me. Mighty River. Mm -hmm. Mighty River of course and then it was the Stravinsky Symphony in three movements and then the Rachmaninoff symphonic dances so you were doing some pre-rehearsals for me but in every rehearsal I knew that you would be around what I didn't know was I was going to meet five people who seemingly get on with each other very 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 well (laughs) who are very supportive of each other and we'll come to that later on when we talk about you know going out into the big wide world and sort of things you have to do extra from just you know being taught how to conduct and rehearsing and being watched and shadowed um so it, it was an absolute joy to be with you that week and that's when I suggested doing this um I think what the subscribers would want to know is what do you do in an average week is there such a thing as an average week um your' sure. your um, sort of curated your 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 conducting coordinator and lecturer Michael Bawtree, basically runs the course um and then as you mentioned martin brabins is is the big is the big boss he, he's the you know he's the conducting daddy you all look to but if one of you could, <laughs> could tell me what uh what an average week might look like or or the sort of things that you would do on a regular basis
3: you've been here the longest yeah i mean <laughs> well, so two. i think it's fair to say there isn't such a thing as an average week um you know, alongside kind of internal opportunities, often people are doing different things externally. So, you know, Riley is often assisting with the BBC or there's there's some kind of engagement there. But, you know, sometimes people have competitions or auditions and stuff. So, you know, there's a lot which happens externally. So piano classes, I suppose, form the heart of that. And I think probably most conducting courses. So we would meet a couple of times a week. That's with Michael and also Ed Cohen who are fair to say wizard pianists. <laughs> um, and then yeah, every week is different. I mean, so this week I' suppose, to paint a picture. We've just had two evenings with a guy called Ryan McAdams, um, who I don't think has been on your podcast, but I'm sure you could you could ask him. I'm <laughs> um, sure write down his name at the end of the, the this uh, filming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the Red Note Ensemble, which is, uh, I think, Scotland's leading contemporary contemporaries, yeah, yeah. Um, on some student new works, and also he's been doing the Piano Concerto with them, so talking about that. Um, and then today, Martin got here last night, so we're doing uh, three days with him, um, one evening with Glasgow Chamber Choir, one session with some woodwind players, and then several just piano sessions as well. Um, and then at the same time I, I'm assisting on an opera here at the moment so I've been involved in that um, there's rehearsals at the BBC with Ilan Volkov on Petrushka, which we some of us have been going to see um, I mean I'm probably missing a couple of things as well so I mean you know that's that's just an example of a snapshot of one week maybe someone else wants to talk about sort of the bigger opportunities as well
4: well like we we usually get a Two, maybe sometimes three sessions with with BBC Scottish uh each year and some RSNO ones as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is which are I I can't think of many other places that would would give you that kind of uh podium time with a world-class orchestra. Yeah. And Scottish Opera as well. That's yeah, we have quite a
1: close relationship with Scottish Opera.
5: And Stuart Stratford. Yeah. Um He's, you know, he comes in. You know, he'll come in a, a couple of days before we have a masterclass of Scottish Opera into a piano class. We'll have that, and then we'll do the, we'll do the sort of whole day session with Scottish Opera, which is obviously a, you know, a great, great mm-hmm. opportunity.
0: Well, it's, yeah. so it's it's lots of, um, lots of encounters with professionals, um, which is superb. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that you get to conduct the BBC Scottish. I mean, I'm thinking... I think the people at the RNCM do have the occasional session with the BBC Philharmonic in Salford. That's true, yeah. And also assist them, because I had an assistant very recently. I was there uh, since Christmas. I've been to the BBC Philharmonic and had an assistant, but also with the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic because it's not too far away. But no, I mean, in Birmingham, they don't conduct the CBSO or go to the Royal Ballet or... I mean, they don't even go to the rehearsals, which is, I find, frankly, bizarre. Um, But... (laughs) I'll get off my polit- political high horse. Um, <laughs> uh, incredibly varied, that what you have.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I will linger on the piano glasses because it's something I've sort of Mention well I, I something i mentioned a lot on the podcast and and often used the well you know well-thumbed quote of Simon Rattle which, which is you know conducting two pianos is great if you want to learn how to conduct two pianos um, <laughs> how do you view the piano classes i mean i've been in piano classes at, at your wonderful institution and i know how good those pianists are i know how good michael is and, and ed is but how do you view it is it something you where you can work on just a technical aspect and tempi or on upbeats on you know on your moose in uh specific things how do you, you you use it well i mean um
2: i think when it comes to two pianos uh yeah it's really not actually about the sound that you'll get from an orchestra um it's mostly based on technique mm. and Um, I mean, at this level, these type of uh, repetiteurs that we work with, um, they really react finely to um, what you're doing with your technique. Mm -hmm. So say uh, an upbeat would really not be the same tempi as a downbeat. They would react Mm -hmm. that way, you know. So it's very... um, I I think pianos are great for getting that direct sound and the to really work on the very fine detail of your technique. Um, sometimes it is very frustrating. <laughs> um, but it's good. Uh, it's great to, and it's it's just great to work on any piece actually anytime. Um, we can say this week. Um, with Martin, for instance, uh, he said, "Well." Bring what you want to bring. So I, I mean, I'm taking Brahms Symphony Number no. Four. Ollie is taking Brahms Tragic. I mean, Debussy uh, uh, Prelude. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we always just say La Midi. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> you can do that. All right. yeah, la Midi. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, I mean, what's interesting is, and we, we're going to come to Mousin, Martin and all things beginning with them in a minute. What's interesting is that that Moosin class from the videos that I've watched of, of his class way back um, that you can watch on YouTube, again, that he had very fine pianists who were following your every move. I've done piano classes elsewhere where it's just two people sat at a piano playing the music through vaguely around the same time the person's conducting. That's pointless. And yeah. I, I, that is, I think that's almost what to what Simon is is alluding to. I think if you have two very skilled pianists who were going to follow your every move, at least then technically with things like upbeats and downbeats and and tempo changes and relationships, i.e. the technical stuff, I think if you've got two brilliant pianists who are following you, it's a very good way of, of cleaning things up. Um, but as you said, frustrating. You know, it's very difficult to conduct Brahms for, uh, you know, when you imagine the sound, imagine the beginning of the last movement, that the, the start of the Passacaglia, and it's, you know, sustained wind and brass. Very difficult to get that with a, with a piano. Um mm-hmm. You have to imagine that. Um, but at least if they're following you, I think that's that's really good. Um, and again, with the assisting, you know, you've got so many opportunities to go and watch. And in a city like you've got, you know, two big professional orchestras. I'm, ju- I'm taking Scottish opera out of it because that's maybe a longer run. But every week there's somebody different goes into BBC Scottish, maybe more than one a week. And and the same with RSNO, and you have free reign to just go watch what you like. Is that correct?
1: Yes.
3: yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the Scottish um, Chamber Orchestra as well. They're in. Of Edinburgh course. Yes. Do, yeah. You know, so Ryan Bancroft was here last time for, yeah. uh, for a week yeah. doing yeah. Appalachian Spring with them. So he also came. Yeah. Did a session with us, and we went and watched him do it. So that's a nice different kind of music making, which is good to see
0: as well. And also the pre rehearsals that you did for me conducting your own students it's not easy is it (laughs) not your your own students your own colleagues your own peers it's not easy Mm
2: -hmm. so that's that's something else that we also do um sometimes I mean it's it's difficult but we also organize lab orchestras um and that's mostly up to us uh getting the players deciding on repertoire and um, then also working with our peers uh, that it's it's difficult but it's fun in the end
5: I think it's a new type of exciting really with with especially conservatist students you know mm-hmm. conservative students here are they're so willing to do something that, that you know different or you know and and especially when it's a I guess slightly low pressure environment when we're conducting you know <laughs> and for them to you know I guess discover new repertoire you know it's it, and again they're very responsive as well which is great
0: I mean the good thing, and I've I've always said this at the end of any session. I've I've so I all five of you conducted a, for a short period of time when I was there because I wanted to give you some podium time. Whenever I've worked at the Conservatory in Birmingham, I've done the same. I always finish the session by thanking the orchestra and pointing out to them that for you guys, that ten or fifteen minutes that you get on the podium is is it's you're practicing your instrument. That mm. you cannot do this without standing in front of you know 80 people playing instruments you just cannot you cannot learn and so to thank the orchestra and to point out to them thank you for being their instrument for 25 30 minutes or whatever it is i think mm. it's really important and mm. I, actually i think it also by doing so what you're you're embedding in people's minds should they want to go out and be professional musicians uh, or, or orchestral players is the fact that you guys have to learn this you don't just walk in one day with a stick in your hand you actually have to learn how to do it um and so you need to practice with somebody i think that's very important that they know that Yeah. Mm. um we mentioned him musin uh <laughs> the reason why i started thinking about it a lot was I, it might have been one of the videos that Ollie or Kentaro O'Reilly took of me conducting the end of the first movement of Rep Maninoff Symphonic Dances, which I oh, posted yeah. on on social media. I happened to notice me doing an awful lot of this, uh, of, <laughs> of circles, <laughs> uh, whilst I was conducting, thinking, Where, where's that come from, Mike? Because I don't remember <laughs> ever conducting like that. I know that's one of the big moose in things, and hopefully one of you can elaborate on that a bit more. But how much <laughs> does Martin <laughs> uh, but how does how much does Martin talk about his his time with Ilya musin because he was there t- two or three years and how much does he is that the basis of what of the technique that he's he teaches you or is it something that he relies on occasionally how does it how how much does Ilya musin's whole thought process go into your studies So answer so that right are you yeah, I do. well it's I. I guess <laughs> Well, it's it.
4: I I think he mentions it a, a fair bit because I think it really informs his his way of making music. I think it's quite integral to to him. I, he's he's certainly not um, prescriptive or dogmatic. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. that, but I think he he's very encouraging to just just have this in your toolbox. Yeah, and if you don't want to use it or you don't think it's appropriate, you don't need to. But it, you should have it. Um. I, I I was familiar with the technique a little bit because of through Colin and the George Hurst school there are actually some links I mean Colin uh-huh. went to to spend quite a fair bit of time with with Mousin and uh a way back <laughs> um and uh certainly you know the, the this figure of eight and I, I did quite a few exercises with him that you can tell are derived from Moosin. but I mean, I came from a place where I'd, I'd had no supervision at all for two years and I'd just been doing my own thing in front of a, an orchestra that was developing and that I was training. So I for sure am, I feel like I'm in the process of really shedding yeah. a lot of stuff. And so for Martin to talk about a, a specific type of, of technique and, and conducting
0: has been great for me. Because it's, po- it's worth pointing out, sorry, but I'll, uh, but I'll come, come back to you in a minute. It's worth pointing out that when you were there uh, in Muscat doing your two years, you're you're unsupervised, you're on your own. And unless you're very careful, bad habits will form very quickly because you know that that particular gesture gets a certain thing to happen with your orchestra. Uh, and especially, and uh, how do I put this? Um, especially with an orchestra that is maybe not top-notch, that sometimes we rely on. On a gesture that frankly other people would look at or especially teachers and and see it as bad so, mm-hmm. so and, you know, I was much the same I started conducting amateur orchestras and would rely on certain things and that's when Oromo said to me you need to go to Panela and pair all of this down and put it in a box because mm-hmm. everything was flying I was like a speared squid there were there were legs and tentacles yeah. going <laughs> in all directions um but would you agree with that Riley
4: yeah, absolutely I mean. Towards the end of my first year, I started videoing myself because I had a feeling uh, that things might be getting a little raggedy around the edges. <laughs> and I got home after the first time I videoed myself, I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> so I I, I kind of rein things in. And I, I, I'm glad I started doing a little bit of work before I decided to leave, because I think if I'd. Well, I probably wouldn't have got the fellowship if I hadn't had some sort of <coughs> introspection, because I think I was doing some crazy
0: stuff. <laughs> really, the one yeah. thing I will add is, and you have go sticking to what you said about Martin and put it's a it's an arrow in your quiver or it's another tool in your toolbox. None of you, no, better to say all of you all conduct very different from each other from the t- times I sat and watched you all, which I think is great. You know, it's very di- it would be very difficult for somebody to try and teach... I mean, you know, same fundamentals, like the figure of eight stuff. I'm sure you've done the hitting the matchboxes mm-hmm. thing as well. Um, but it would be very difficult for somebody to try and squeeze Riley's technique into, you know, Peggy's technique, or, you know, your different body sizes, body shapes, yeah, yeah, different people, personalities. I mean, how does he encourage... That individuality, or is he, is he just literally giving you tools each time? It's something for you that you can work on different to everybody else. I
1: think, um, I, sorry, yeah, you, you go well, first. Man. Okay, um, I think like the way Martin works with us, sort of in the context of Musin's technique, like the most wonderful thing about Musin's technique is that it's very applicable to different situations, like it's a very comprehensive technique wherein. Any kind of uh, genre of music, any kind of like timing differences that the ensemble might react to the technique, like there, it, like the 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 technique itself helps you accommodate for that. And what I felt, kind of like watching all of my colleagues and also like feeling it myself, is that the way that we apply it is quite personal. Mm. So, so I think in in some ways it kind of speaks like such volumes about the technique itself, like the school of thought itself, that it can be applied in such a variety of ways. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, adding on to that, I think, uh, you know, it's this idea of talking about the Moussin technique. I've never felt that massively, that this idea of, oh, this is the thing, and you you do it like this. I think it, it's more about very grounding principles, which can mm. manifest themselves very differently. Mm. The idea of picking up sound rather than hitting sound um just for for one example and so I mean the interesting thing we we mentioned him earlier Stuart Stratford who we do a lot of work with as well um and and other teachers we've had who's all who've also come from Moosin school uh, teach very differently and look very different Mm -hmm. um and sometimes there's a bit of a kind of translation exercise you have to do going home thinking why does that mean that. I mean, Gergiev was a moose in people and you sort of looking, you go, but that doesn't look anything like what we're mm-hmm. thinking about. Um, so I think it, it's very much about principles. And I think with Martin specifically, he's not just repeating things he might remember from how many years ago in Russia. You know, he's also relating it to, you know, 30 plus years of experience and what he's found has been effective. Generally speaking, those two are the same thing. But um, you know, it, it, it is his own take on things and he's certainly not overly prescriptive of you should do this gesture here i don't think he's ever said
4: that no i think he just has a very good eye for when you lose touch with sound Mm -hmm. when you lose touch with the music
2: yeah i mean he also actually i mean he's a great teacher in the way that he gets you to also analyze your own movement Mm -hmm. so it's not just feedback it's, you can you are constantly thinking about what you're doing next and whether it's working um so I mean it it's it's quite a lot to process after a class with them you know but it's amazing
0: I think what's interesting about this is um, you know going back to the week i spent with you we spent a lot of time having discussions like this intermingled with laughter and you know uh, and a lot of a lot of laughter <laughs> and and a, and a lot of stories you know i would told you a lot of stories about things from my playing career but also from my conducting career and and when it comes to being a teacher which as as you know i am as well i think all of those things inform you um and you know you take those experiences as a conductor as a player uh, but I think the most important thing is I came away from uh, meeting you guys and, and seeing that little snippet of video. And ever since then, I've been experimenting. You know, I I did I did some very late, very, very late jump-in concerts with the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra and four different choruses. There's a symphony chorus, two children's choruses, and a, and a, um, a community chorus. And even in what in a "Hark the Herald Angels Sing," I started just doing trying to you know hold and carry the sound, and I, I could actually get things to move better. I did some sessions recently with um, with the BBC Philharmonic, as I mentioned, and again there were moments I thought, no, I need to carry the sound better here. But there were other moments when I went very paneler, uh, and and you know, and you just think, no, actually it's now not working. And so, as Jacobus has just said, you're always you should always be thinking about what you're doing, and I think that that seems to be the ethos you know how how is this impacting what's happening with the music therefore if i'm thinking like that and you know i i am impacting it but i you know it it's all of that very interesting sort of byplay, isn't it between what you're thinking what you're doing and how the music is coming back to you and i think that's the important thing about conducting it's not just a dance routine hmm. <laughs>
4: i martin uh, actually the last time, one of the last times he was he was here he had to i think mark elder got ill uh and uh it was with BBC SSO and they were doing Iberia and I think two two of the Shovel so Sto- piano concertos And they called him up on the day of the concert, and he, you know, he we went in and he did his thing, it's a great concert, and, and and he said, That's technique. <laughs> well, he'd never seen two of the
5: pieces. Yeah. And you know, he said, you know, the only thing that got me through that was the technique. Yeah.
0: Mm. And, yeah. It's exactly. a ground, it's a grounding. It's also thousands and thousands. Well, he's probably, you know, well into the thousands of concerts and recording sessions and experiences and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. knowing that he, uh, I would imagine, that, you know, if, if he looked at the score or did, he could look through it and think, yeah, I, c- I can conduct that. I mean, there are some people who can just, I watch Sakari Oromo site conduct things. You think, how on earth are you doing this? You know, but, but <laughs> again, a, a clarity of technique and a clarity of, you know, he he just knew he could do that. He, he could do you know amazing upbeats and and be very good at reading a score very quickly. Um, yeah. So I mean, it sounds to me like the perfect mixture uh, of experiences from the two pianos through to Martin, who's not completely t- totally dogmatic about everything being like him. Very happy for you to fit it into your way and your world and your and your bodies. Um, you know, you're all at different stages of your course. The big question for me, and uh, did we really talk about it? We talked a bit about how much people get paid, and I was quite—I was brutally honest them, <laughs> about fees uh, and and told you that you know don't get don't get hung up on on BBC fees because they're not great, and you know there are other, <laughs> other parts of the world that are be- that, that are better than 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 others. But really, you're at this point now when you're you're in, as I've said, you're lucky. The five of you get on so well; you support each other. But you're applying for competitions, which, you know, we can talk about. Um, You're looking at opportunities. You're, you know, soon you'll be out there trying to earn a crust like the rest of us. What are your worries, fears, hopes? Do Michael and Martin ever talk to you about the professional development side of this? It's not just hands and arms, I'm assuming, and, you know, how to read a score. Going forwards, tell me about your thoughts about, you know, the next few years for all of you. Do you want to go first?
1: I go first. Yeah.
0: We're second years, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, because um,
1: yeah. Um, fingers. Well, of course, there's that looming fear of not having anything to do after graduation, <laughs> yeah. which I think Ollie and I both feel. Um, so I think we're both in a bit of a position now, um, nearing the end of our course where we're sort of, you know, trying to manage that anxiety slightly um trying to keep improving trying to for me personally I don't know about you but um like I'm just thinking about in the next six months how how I can like squeeze the most Hmm. out of the remaining time that I have here so I'm like the most equipped I can be when I step out of the institution um and then I think for me like specific to being a woman conductor I think I, I do have a big fear about Um, of course, I know like nowadays, like there, there is so many, there are so many opportunities for women and and, like, there's so much access for women, but um, the fear for me personally is sometimes being put in a position to do something because of that. Mm. And that I might not necessarily actually be ready to do it, to Mm. be, to be qualified, like knowing that perhaps I've been put in that position because of being a woman and perhaps I'm not actually qualified enough to do a good job. So I think like that's like personally a big fear of mine. And I, I mean, I've obviously like talked to Martin about this and I think the advice that he's given me is just, you know, whatever I'm, whatever I'm given, like whatever I have the privilege of doing, just basically try and do it to the best of my ability, even though perhaps I think the best of my ability isn't actually qualifying for the situation. But um, yeah, I think it is something that is, that, that I'm thinking about, so.
0: I, I, you bring up a very interesting point because uh, I, I, it's it's a, a hot topic um, about um, conductors of color and also about female conductors and orchestras, rightly wanting to be more diverse. I do, however, think, and I think you're right to think it. I think sometimes uh, young female conductors and young conductors of color have been put in situations where the they, they may be underqualified or not quite ready yet or and that's only been because of the orchestra wanting to be diverse. Um, and you know, do we ever think about, about it from your point of view? you know the fact that you know you're well aware of this situation. Um, uh, but it, it, it's no different from any of us that any of the six of us you know I've been offered things and I have to and not because I'm not ready. I just don't think I, I had the time to do it and sometimes you have to learn the right time to say no. But in, in the in the main, I am like you. I mean, I'm 53. I am fifty three. I am most more than likely going to say yes to anything that comes my <laughs> way. Um, but I think you are right. I think sometimes people have been put in situations where, where they shouldn't be, um, and that's you know. And it's good that you are thinking that. But I think Martin's right. You you go for you go for it hundred percent. You are well. You got the skills. You are well prepared enough. Um, do it to the best of your ability, um, regardless of you know. What make or model you are, it doesn't matter, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, just do the best you can. <laughs> I, I mean, co- think, go on, go on, Ollie. So I
3: was just gonna say, I think sort of something I learned a lot from Martin actually was that being anxious about this and about career is such a waste of time. Yeah. And when I I remember when I arrived, I was saying to Martin, you know, Martin, I don't know what I'm gonna do in two years. I'm really worried, how will I be able to eat? You know, <laughs> <before> <laughs> You know, and he went. It's ridiculous. It's in two years' time, and you know, you can waste your time thinking about that rather than thinking about what you're doing now and trying to learn. And actually, if I reflect back on a year and a bit now, I'm in a completely different place. You know, I think in my development, maybe you guys will tell me I'm wrong, but um, in my development I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but when I started. And also, you know, with I, I think it's fair to say for both, sort of little bits of pieces of work or opportunities which you couldn't have imagined getting then. And so actually, by just focusing on what you're doing, which is what Martin's always said, rather than worrying about the future, things happen naturally. And if they don't, I'll work in a bank.
4: I think that's the funny thing about opportunities is that every time something good has come along in my life, it's been a total surprise. Mm, I've not seen it coming. You can't predict it. Mm. And I do not think the anxiety,
3: having spoken to people a little bit further along this sort of journey i don't think the anxiety goes away no, it you know, doesn't. like in any sort of profession you're always looking to the next thing and you can get obsessed with thinking oh yeah sure i've done that gig but i want to be a chief conductor you know and if you start thinking that way you stop thinking about the things which matter you know yeah. music etc
0: absolutely true i mean you know you don't stop obsess- obsessing about you know the diary. It, of course, you don't, and it, the pressure only adds even more when you've got mortgages to pay and car loans to pay and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't it doesn't get any easier. It just becomes different. Um, and you know that, and and your career morphs into what it morphs into. You know, I I started out conducting certain things in, with certain people, and then ended up conducting other repertoire with other people. And you know, currently, I you know there are two institute institutions organizations that I've been working with a lot. Who seem to be sort of paring down what I'm doing, but it, but I'm also working more with other people, you know. So uh, it, your career morphs, and 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 I think Martin's right. Don't stress about it too much, because if you do, it, it'll impact on the doing of the job when you're doing it. Everything mm. becomes way too important then, and you should and you stop thinking about just making music and doing the best job as a conductor. If you or, or or all the other peripheral things are, are bothering you. I have to ask cuz you're all young and also because the week I was there you were all scrambling around late at night putting together video packages <laughs> filling out <laughs> filling out forms you. um uh, what else were you doing all sorts <laughs> of uh, writing statements I mean yeah you know, <laughs> but competitions are a big thing um how do you uh, do you just apply for all of them or do you pick and choose um and you know given your age and therefore the top age is normally 35 again are you using martin's strategy of yeah fine if it doesn't work do it next time there'll be another time there'll be another time or you know how do you go about the 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 stresses and strains of applying for competitions knowing that of course just getting there could impact your career not even winning it just getting there and being spotted by somebody now how does that how does that impact on what you do
4: should we all tell him about the mass rejection letter we all got?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> the
1: morning of rejection.
0: So the morning, yeah. so the Malco you had applied for you today, you've just, but you've all been rejected today. Oh, dear. Well, I'm very, very, very sorry. I the am very sorry. There, so
2: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, when it comes to competitions, it's like you, you just keep on applying. Um. Unfortunately, um, and Mm -hmm. this we have to say to all competitions, please, um, it's very expensive to be applying to all these competitions, Mm -hmm. and the worst, almost. I mean, so we all got our beautiful rejection letter, (laughs) and but that rejection letter said that there were three hundred and ninety applications. You know, so since COVID. the numbers of conductors young conductors have just been going up um and i mean we're pro- probably part of that group now um but it's it's booming you know the the uh, numbers of people that want to do conducting so i mean eventually it's up to chance um i kept on applying and then i i was actually i received a few rejections and i was at a point where i thought okay no um maybe i shouldn't go on and then that evening it was last year i think january or something i got a acceptance for the carry competition and then it all just your your mood lifts everything goes up you know just the chance to go and do that competition um but then you have to go and you again you have to almost over prepare um so I mean competitions are it's it's a real part of this process but it's also not everything um and I mean age is also a problem I mean one has to I mean I'm starting to think like now I've received the rejection from Malco I'm 27 now okay when will I be able to apply again maybe uh, so you're always thinking of all these things. Um, it is stressful, but at the moment we're just applying and applying. That's that. That's half of the time that we spend, you know. Um, but I'm all, always sending in one minute before the deadline. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe I
4: cause the stress a bit. <laughs> that's a crazy idea.
0: <laughs> I will dig on one point there because I find it fascinating because mainly my head was where it was at when COVID hit. I'm surprised that more and more people want to become conductors because as a conductor when COVID hit, it brutally pointed to me or pointed out to me how totally and utterly reliant we are on the people we conduct, on orchestras. I I couldn't play, you know, I couldn't get people to, you know, watch a concert I was doing in my living room on the violin because nobody would want to hear it. And, you know, I gave up in 2014. Well, the point is, as conductors, we need other people. And in the pandemic, it made you realise that actually this is a very difficult job when you when there's no orchestras to conduct. So to come out of COVID and for more people to go, hey, I want to conduct orchestras seems strange to me. But maybe, maybe that's because I was where I was at in COVID. You know, I ended up thinking, well, what on earth can I do? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll interview lots of other conductors and start a podcast, which has turned into a Patreon page, which is why I'm speaking to you now. Um, But at the time, I really don't. I said to the CBSO that I rehearsed them the first thing back from COVID. I said to them, if any conductor is rude to an orchestra again after COVID, they don't deserve to be a, a conductor at all because it made you realize my god without an orchestra, we are nothing we're literally nothing we, we our job doesn't exist so to hear that more people want to do it uh, well, uh, well maybe it means that conducting is you know glamorous profession and I don't know uh, I, 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 i'm, I'm going to dismount from my high horse quickly <laughs>
2: <laughs> I- I think it's also, uh, in a few years, it's going to be Bradley Cooper's fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. Cate Blanchett. And yeah, C.K. Blanchett. Yeah, Blanchett. Blanchett, yeah, yeah. So well, yeah. Is that- maybe it's easier to be- first become an actor or a director. Think, than after.
0: Oh, God. Well, I will have to say that only one of those movies would have inspired me to become a conductor. <laughs> 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 because I thought, I thought uh, I, the Bradley Cooper movie was really, really, really good. I enjoyed that very much. I, the other one? No. Awful. Ter- terrible, terrible, terrible waste of my life watching that film. <laughs> a mic on the podium is devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. My thanks go to Jacobus, Ollie, Peggy, Kentaro and Riley for being such a joy to interview. Next time, in part two... They get the chance to answer 10 questions like everyone else has, except that their 10 questions are slightly different. But until then, bye-bye.